I thought we might open the show playing Simon and Garfunkel's Sound of Silence, Kevin Barker, you know, but, uh, well, we, we, we'd run afoul of licensing stuff, and even where the world is right now, I don't think anybody really needs any extra BS dropped in their plate, you know, so, but still, Kevin, the point is, here we are in the dying days of February, and locked out major leaguers are pretty much being left to their own devices. I mean, we've seen Nick Anderson of the Tampa Bay Rays long tossing in the parking lot of a strip mall. Uh, we've seen a group of Boston Red Sox players working out at Florida Gulf Coast University. That's about, I don't know, about 10 miles south, I guess, of their Fort Myers facility at, at a field that includes a scoreboard, which reads donated by the Sale family underneath it. So Chris <laughs> Sale... An alumni doing doing his doing his mates a solid. I think he's got like five or six of his teammates with him. Look, a lockout means just that, right? Players who are members of the Major League Baseball Players Association cannot use club facilities or have access to club medical or front office personnel. And Kevin, we talked about this for the past couple of weeks, and you know, yeah, everybody's finding different places to work out, and that's kind of swell, I guess. You're on your own until. Spring training opens anyhow. Usually you can use club facilities, but it's not official, et cetera, et cetera. But, Kevin, at this point, i got to think there are players that are looking around saying, okay, I, I, I need to be ready to go whenever this ends, however it ends. i got to need to be ready to go. This is, this is kind of where it gets real for these guys, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> for me, anyway, just, just listening and, and reading social media and listening to the players going to different places. You mentioned Florida. Some of the Red Sox are going to colleges and, and pitching. And, and it's just the competitive side of baseball. It's it's me against you. That, for me, is the part that these players are going to be lacking. And, and that's gonna, they're going to be playing catch-up when the bell does ring. I know when I went to spring training, be you know, I was a little bit more advanced because I played so much in winter ball that it was oh, I had a week or two off and then I would hit the ground running at least I tried to in spring training, but that's what these guys are, right? It's, mm. it's when you're a starting pitcher, how many starts will it take you in spring training or will it creep out into the to the regular season that you just don't have that competitive edge where when you're in the bullpen, you know I got everything, all systems go, everything's going and clicking the way it's supposed to be clicking, and that for me is – what they're lacking, what they need to hurry up and get. You know, you can only go on so many fields and hang out with your buddies and mess around and Instagram what my slider's looking like. Wow, look at his mechanics until an actual big leaguer's trying to take money from you. That, that for me, is what they're lacking and what needs to hurry up in baseball. And, and we want to get the best players on the field and see the best that they have to offer. And when will we see that? That's the big question. Yeah, negotiations are going on in Florida. That is good news. They are at least as of as of this this podcast taping talking uh, with with that deadline of of February twenty eighth kind of staring everybody, I guess, in the face right now. But the bottom line is, players who are the very reason for MLB's existence. I mean, they're the product. MLB ain't making widgets, folks. <laughs> MLB's showing major league baseball players on the field the best of the best. They're persona non grata right now, and we're going to be joined by Chris Cotillo later on of Mass Live, who uh, covers the Red Sox. And, man, you know, th this has been uh, – a lot of writers are already down in Florida uh, and Arizona, and it's been kind of surreal, right? Chris Chris went in a tour of the Red Sox facility, JetBlue Park, because that's the only way he could get in. And he noted that when you go to the spring training gift shop, and anybody who's gone to spring training in Florida knows that buying swag is like – one of the things you have to do 
while there's no jerseys with players' names or numbers on them. It's just Red Sox caps. This is part of MLB's kind of the Cold War with players. It's why when you go to MLB.com, there's not a lot of player imaging for guys who are who are involved in the lockout. And, and you know, it's just you see guys like Chris Cotillo, reporters like Chris Cotillo, and, you know, they're downloading or they're sending interviews with, with different guys using their camera and they're taking pictures in different fields. And I know the Yankees writers are down in Tampa. And, and the good news for the Yankees writers, I guess, Kevin, is they get the cover. You know, they're covering workouts of Anthony Volpe and Jason Dominguez, Dominguez, some of the Yankees' top prospects. So that's always good. But, you know, I look at the Red Sox and and – I mean, man, they got a lot of questions around their pitching. They got Chris Sale, they got Nathan Yavaldi. They're always hurt. You got Matt Barnes. He didn't. He wasn't on the postseason roster last year. You got James Paxton. They've signed him. They haven't even seen him. They haven't been able to talk to him. And like, they may be in a position where they've got two or three weeks less than they would normally get to figure out what the hell they have with their starting pitching. And I'll tell you what, Kevin, if you make a misdiagnosis or if you make the wrong call on a starting pitcher in a shortened spring training, you can put your team behind the eight ball right out of the gate. Yeah, how many uh, brass, how much uh, of the Red Sox brass do you think snuck a peek at, at the Instagram feed of, of Matt Barnes because he's tweaked a little bit of his mechanics to try and figure mm. out throw quality, better pitches, strike one, those kind of things. It's just like that. Can we trust him when it matters the most? And and the way he left last year, you know, he was injured, he made an all-star team, and then he got hurt, and then he's not on the playoff roster. And now coming into this season, you're expecting a lot from him because you have other questions and you need this guy to step up. It's how do you do it in this small amount of time? This is yeah. what it's all about. And you, you're, you're relying on these veteran guys to know themselves, know their bodies, know enough about what they did wrong last year that they can carry that over into this, whatever this is and figure out how to fix it and fix it in a hurry. And it's just a lot of question marks. It really is. Well, this should really be a, this should really be halcyon days for the Toronto Blue Jays and their fans, right? You got Vladdy, Bo, Bo Vladdy, Gossman, Moreno, Barrios. Uh, that you know, new state-of-the-art training facility in Dunedin that uh, is going to change the way the team goes about its day-to-day preparation and, and kind of seeks to centralize and unleash what we are told is a massive rehabilitation and analytical investment. Dunedin loves its snowbirds, and Jays fans should be, they should be prowling the little streets of that place right now, right? And more so on and around March 6th when the Red Sox were scheduled to play the first home game of the Grapefruit League season at TD Bank Ballpark. But as we said, all you got right now down there is uh, sound of silence. Ben Wagner is our Blue Jays radio voice on Sportsnet 590. The fan, he is a year-round resident of Dunedin. He joins us on Blair and Barker. So, Ben, I'm told that the Jays' front office, Ross and Mark are in Dunedin, that the coaching staff is down there as well, and that that so is Charlie. Have you been out to this training complex, and what's going on there right now? To answer your question, yeah. I have been at the training complex, the brand-new player development complex, and what isn't going on? (laughs) Might be the shorter answer, because seems like we've been talking about the player development complex for the better part of a decade, but that's not the case. It's only been actually operating as it was designed for the last couple of years, but it is operating as designed. And this is a hub for the Toronto Blue Jays minor leaguers, their major leaguers when they're allowed to visit, but also the support 
network that is around these guys year-round. And in proximity where I live in Dunedin, it's a short little commute over there, so I can pop in and see what's going on. And outside the new wallpaper and the renderings of the brand-new Blue Jays, you know, that have been assigned this offseason already and expecting to wear the uniform, I have seen dozens of minor leaguers, a number of coaches cycle in and out throughout the offseason, and the support staff around, including the front office. And now these guys are locked in. Mark and Ross likely won't really leave Dunedin until the regular season arrives. But there is definitely a benefit to having the major league coaches here as well at the same time. They're going through meetings. They're going through projections. They're going through a lot of stuff. It is a nonstop hub of activity. And outside just little pockets of time where they've sent players and staff home to dial back the number of bodies at the player development complex, it's really been operational. And over the last 10 days, really, it's ramped up. Ben, have you heard vibe from new players about the complex? Endlessly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, Guys that are, you know, guys that I talked to last year, whether it was in Dunedin, in Buffalo, and then eventually in Toronto, and then the host of guys that have been kind of trapped. You know, it was a death sentence, you know, just years ago where you would be on the injured list and you said, oh, I got to go to the complex. I got to be in Dunedin. Or for anybody that's on the IL, if you're sent to the minor league complex, it's just like this grueling, grueling task to go down there and, um, you know, suffer on the backfields and sweat in the sun. This is not the case. This place is incredible. It has lived up to, to really, in my mind, everything that the, the front office had conceptualized, and now the players are getting the benefit from, uh, I mean, honestly, you could walk in at 8 o'clock in the morning hungry for breakfast, and there is a 3,500-square-foot kitchen and dining room available. You're going to get your three squares. You're going to have your refueling stations. You don't want to leave. Huh. Um, you don't want to leave. I mean, it's, it's pretty good living if you can get it. Other than the kitchen, is there one specific part of that place that you hear players congregating to? Maybe the batting cage or a pitching mound. Is there one specific place that you're hearing players go, man, I can't wait to go there. Just stay there. Well, there are three specific spots that guys will endlessly rave about. And if you're talking from a social aspect, but also a fundamental aspect, that is the covered infield that the Blue Jays have. It is, it is the exact specifications of the turf that is at Rogers Center. It is a diamond, and it's a little bit bigger than the traditional arc uh, on the cut of the, what, what is the infield dirt and the outfield grass, but it is all undercover. And there's about 30 feet worth of space between the, the tip of the turf all the way to the roof of the ceiling. So you can work on some fungos and you can take endless ground balls. You can work on footwork. You can stretch. You can do all that. It's a great place to congregate and hang out. And it's in the shade. And the way that the wind travels through there, it's a very comfortable place to just rock back and talk about baseball. Uh, that's the first place. The next two places are the labs, the pitching lab. And I got a sneak peek at this just a couple of weeks ago, and it still smelled like wet paint. This is how new this place is. It's the hitting lab. By design, the hitting lab and the pitching lab are supposed to be in the same spot. But because of the amount of importance, number one, but also the resources that are available to the pitchers, they said, we need our own hitting lab. So the Blue Jays went out and they built this thing, and it is incredible. They've got – 
the elite of elite pitching machines uh, that we've heard guys in the past talk about uh, that have made a big difference with their cage work, but also the technology that's in there with the cameras and the video response systems that, that they have, but also some of the cool bells and whistles include uh, how they can digitize the entire player, but also, this is a big thing in golf, the pressure, the pressure pads. So imagine standing in the batter's box, and it's a digital pad that not only can they tell if your stance is different, they can tell the difference maybe even in the landing, the pressure of your body moving forward, all these little things uh, that are primarily going to be used by the minor leaguers as they continue to develop. But if something's not right over the next few weeks with the major leaguers coming here once the CBA gets done, they feel like this is really going to be a new tool that the Blue Jays just haven't been able to utilize in this hitting lab. So there are, those are the big three things that I hear players talking endlessly about. Ben, what's the mood like down there right now? Not just around the facility, but in the town of Dunedin. I mean, this will be what? This is kind of the... I guess the third spring without the regular flow of people and fans due to border restrictions, COVID, stuff like that. And look, there has to be an economic cost here, too, as well, right? Because I think the Jays' first home game was, I believe, March 6th against the Boston Red Sox at TD Bank Ballpark. Uh, look, at, at this point, anybody's guess as to when the first grapefruit well the first regular season game will be played let alone the first grapefruit league game but but what's the mood around Dunedin right now as as this lockout you know as this lockout continues because it's got to be different than than the run of the mill it's very different than the run of the mill it's different than 2019 certainly from a vibe standpoint uh if you walk around town uh, the ballpark looks like it's ready to go, right? The tents are out, the tables are set up, you can peer in at different spots. It looks like baseball could start tomorrow. The banners are up around the city. They want to embrace it, but you're right. It's the third straight year where there's been this awkward approach to what is usually a time of celebration around Dunedin, and especially this time of year at the start of spring training where you've got so much happening on Main Street, you've got the festivals, you've got... Uh, St. Patrick's Day and Mardi Gras parades happening within this little, you know, quirky little beach town. Baseball is still the center point and it kind of a destination. And it's and it's been without it. Right at the infancy of the brand new ballpark being refurbished, it was shut down because of COVID. Last year was so strange uh, with spring training games and only a smattering of fans being allowed here. Yes, the regular season started here, but again, very limited capacity, even when they expanded it. You know, you had to you had to really invest the time and resources because tickets weren't cheap like a traditional spring training game. So, you know, I lost a lot of the luster and kind of fun. And because of also the restrictions, you, you lost a lot of the intimacy of, of spring training and getting autographs and taking selfies with players that you wanted to see. And as they come out of the clubhouse and and walk down the line to the dugout. So it's a little bit of an apprehensive move right now. But like, can we get excited about it? Or are we going to worry about things that have filled the void over the last two years? Mm-hmm. And we're heading to the water, and we're going to head on the patio, and we're going to kind of focus this, that, and the other. But the town is certainly ready to embrace it, uh, especially as we get into this March break phase where there should be an influx of Canadians coming down. All right, Ben, let's let's get this down to the Blue Jays here. Let's bring it down to the Blue Jays. Uh, we had a chat with Bo Bichette a couple of weeks ago, and Bo mentioned how 
you know, he's he's been around in the majors. We look at Bo and we think, oh, Bo's going into his third year. And Bo actually kind of said, you know, last year was sort of my first full season, right? But even that wasn't a regular season because they had 150 different you know, different places they called home, more or less. So, look, guys like Bo Bichette and Vladdy in particular, they're, they haven't really had kind of a normal season, right? A normal 162, normal spring training, normal offseason they haven't had a chance to experience that yet. Could that be a bit of a benefit if you know, if this lockout drags on and we're talking about everybody having to get ready in 26 days for the rigors of 162 games? Could this sort of experience with all this oddness help these guys once this gets going? Without a doubt, this can help these guys. You know, I talked to Bo last year and I said, what's the highlight for you, Bo, so far? And he admitted, you know, mentally he was taxed at the end of the 2020 season and he was beaten up a little bit down the stretch in 2021. I said, is it hard for you to pinpoint, you know, a a major highlight? And he went back to something that he talked about going in to 2020. And that was his first real game at Rogers Center. He remembers taking the field. He remembers just kind of soaking in that scene. It's something that has stuck with these guys, the normalcy of getting a chance to take the field in Toronto. And just, just to have a season, I mean, we're all looking for a day in our life, right? Especially in the current climate of our globe. Uh, we're looking for a day of normalcy. These players are desperately looking for, yeah, once spring training ends, I'm going to Toronto after that season opens up in Baltimore and I've got a place to live for six months there is no doubt that guys are going to benefit from some sort of just routine that they can establish without having to worry about extending either a hotel or an Airbnb an extra week here or there and I think it's the young guys that are going to benefit the most of it and and anybody that's got to ride a shuttle between you know now it's Buffalo (laughs) in Toronto and not not Trenton or, or wherever some displaced ball club is playing on the eastern seaboard. Uh, thankfully, there should be some normalcy to a regular season. And, and and I'm with you guys. I think that the fact that the younger players can hopefully, one, embrace going to Toronto at the beginning of the season, embrace what that is going to feel like to start the season, but also get a feel for what it's going to be like playing in front of a, a Rogers Center that wants to welcome them so desperately. Ben, uh, while the major league players – can't be in Dunedin because of the lockout, obviously. The Major League staff will be there. Is there any players that you know that could benefit from that? Well, I think there's a number of guys that can benefit from that, and they're not the the front-line prospects that you're thinking of. I think that there's another tier of player, both on the position side and on the pitching side, that are going to get longer looks, and there are guys that are going to get an opportunity, not in, in a game perspective, but in clubhouse demeanor, work ethic, and also an opportunity to display their stuff in competitive settings on the backfields over the next couple of weeks in front of the major league coaching staff. And there are endless stories, right, out of spring training. This guy made me think, if you talk to a manager or a coach, well, all of a sudden when there's this emergency need in June, hey, what about that guy that threw that great game in, in Sarasota that day? Hmm. Those seeds get planted this time of year, and that's why I think a guy that like Nathan Lucas, who had a pretty solid AAA season last year, he can play all three outfield positions. He's got a little bit of speed. He's got some. He's got some good uh, bat-to-ball contact ability. He can take an extra base, you know, because he's he's a good base runner. 
guys like Nathan Lucas, who might be an insurance policy if somebody goes down. And there was that need last year, right, where some guys like Josh Palacios was exposed a little bit too much. And what if they trade Lourdes Goriel Jr. all of a sudden trying to make a deal? Who's that next man up? Well, Nathan Lucas is somebody that's got a nice little pedigree in the minor leagues and has been a French prospect at times. He's a left-handed bat. What kind of role can he fill for the Blue Jays? I think that's a guy that's going to get a lot of opportunity and Mark Budzinski and Charlie Montoyo and other coaches are going to take a long look at how a guy like that uh, performs this spring. Or, on the mound, how about Matt Gage? You know, somebody that has had a little bit of time in the major leagues and had mixed results, but at the end of the 2018 season, he had a bone spur removed. And that seemed to change everything about Matt Gage. And also... He got some international experience, but he also got to work with a longtime veteran pitching coach in Dave Island. Dave Island, uh, you know, long work with the New York Yankees, the Mets, the Kansas City Royals, really solid baseball guy, longtime pitching coach. And, and Matt Gage might be in that next tier uh, of guys that, if you think, you know, where do the Blue Jays need some depth? And, and recently it's been Trent Thornton, Anthony Kay, Jacob Waggis-Pack, you know, guys like that. Well, they haven't really been able to take the opportunities that they've been given. So the Blue Jays, they went out and they, they signed a guy like Matt Gage. And those are the type of players that, in my mind, will have a distinct advantage starting on Friday to jump in and try to make an impression early in camp, regardless of how long the Major League staff is around them. They're going to get a chance to make an impact. Okay, I need you to put your GM hat on for a second. I love doing this. I love sitting around the house and, and thinking about what certain teams can do, especially when this thing gets up and rolling. It's going to be for these GMs quick, right? You got to, you got to, you know, get on the phone as quick as you can. You got to make these moves. If you're the GM for the Blue Jays, you're Ross Atkins. What would you, what would be the first move that you're trying to make? Who's that certain guy that you would like to see, you know, them, them being a part of the Blue Jays when this thing gets kicked off? Wow. I mean, specific names, that's, that's fun to play, right? I mean, playing GM on the couch is a lot of fun. Uh, but we know that this is going to happen really rapidly. We saw how aggressive and really active the Blue Jays were before the CBA and the lockout had to happen. I don't think the Blue Jays are done. And I think the Blue Jays have spent this time, I know the Blue Jays have spent this time being really, really invested in conversations and in talking about who they would want to bring in. I think the Blue Jays would love to see some consistency at third base and not just a guy with a glove. They want to make an impact bat, and it might be a veteran guy. I mean, would you want Chris Bryant to play third base for the Toronto Blue Jays? Would you like to make uh, a major wave here and go after uh, Jose Ramirez, who's a switch hitter and can give you a lot, give you certainly a lot? He's going to cost a lot. But what what did we learn last year? The Blue Jays have a stockpile now that they haven't been afforded in the previous years to go out and make a splash. Um, is it going to cost you Jordan Groshans? Could it cost you a major leaguer right now to go out and make Jose Ramirez in that controllability and impact bat at third base? Uh, that is really inviting for me. That is still something that I wish happened last year, and it didn't come to fruition. I still think that that would be an incredible enhancement for the Toronto Blue Jays to go out there and get. And uh, I don't think the Blue Jays certainly are done on the pitching side of things. And I, you know, I, I for a lot of the last summer heard the name Luis Castillo out of Cincinnati being somebody that they would go after another guy that's got some controllability and Herman Marquez too in Colorado 
two years with a club option and really not diving that much money into to what that contract's invested, I think those are two big-time options for guys that could go out, chew innings, and, and try to help this, this rotation really round out. Ben, we know that uh, Charlie Montoyo had his club option for 2022 picked up in March, last March. I, clearly, this is a big year for Charlie Montoyo. It's a big year for the for the Blue Jays as well. Uh, this front office seems to be, and, and I think rightly so, seems to be, it, it seems as if they don't like the idea of the quote-unquote lame duck manager. Um, do you see Charlie getting an extension this year? I understand there's a, there's a ton of things this team has to do, believe me, and that may not be the first priority. But could you see that happening, or do you think do you think that the Jays' approach will be, let's see what Charlie does this year? I think it'll be more of an evaluation and see what the team does. But what is the team going to do? Um, one thing I know that can't happen uh, for, for the entire organization, right? I mean, it's the coaches well beyond Charlie. This team can't get out of the gate 3-12, and 3-15. and 15. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's a problem. Uh, that, that's a major problem. What is the season going to look like? I think that will factor into the evaluation, too, of the coaching staff and what is decided moving forward. If if they have to finagle the regular season and all of a sudden it's, again, similar to more 2020 versus 2021, where it's not a balanced schedule and all of a sudden you're getting way more American League East competition, uh, I think the evaluation even with a good club, won't necessarily be a July extension announcement for Charlie Montoyo. I really don't. Oh. Uh, go go ahead, Ben. Yeah, but so, I, you know, I, I really think that there's a possibility for Charlie to be part of this and to have a little bit more longevity with the Toronto Blue Jays, but I certainly don't think uh, the priority right now for the Blue Jays is securing a coaching staff moving forward. I think they're more worried about the wins and the losses and rounding out this roster where they've got a chance to absolutely make a massive splash. And the, the, the splash that they make will have ripple effects on what, what the coaching situation is moving forward. Yeah, well, we, we all know the, the manager's on as good as his players. And, and to, to that point, my, my question for you is, you know, every good team, every good season, they need that under-the-radar guy, that guy that not a lot of people talk about. For you, this year, 2022, who, what is, that, who is that name for the Blue Jays? Under-the-radar guy. Ooh, that might be that. That's a great game. I mean, Gabriel Moreno, who's not exactly under the radar. <laughs> um, we're kind of salivating at this guy coming up. Uh, I think there's a next wave of pitchers that certainly could be impact. There's position players that might be a little too raw yet. Josh Palacios was maybe overexposed too early. Or Elvis Martinez isn't really there yet uh, in terms of you know crafting his game and can he take it to the next level at the upper levels of minor league baseball and prove that that bat's going to play. So I really have to focus in on the pitching. The pitching is where the Blue Jays are going to have to dive in and get some innings logged. And that's why I think Thomas Hatch is going to be a guy that that is going to be relied upon more than people really think. And he's coming off of injury. You know, last year wasn't exactly uh, the way that he wanted it to go at all. So uh, there's so much, there's so much to love 
about Thomas Hatch, and he kind of gets lost in the Julian Merriweather, Nate Pearson, uh, the veteran guys that have been brought in. Thomas Hatch kind of has faded off into the distance talking with people, but I still think the you know the, the pitching staff, one, recognizes what his ability is in a number of different roles, but I think if Thomas can go in there into spring training, get stretched out, he can have a really big impact this year on Toronto and, and their success. Ben, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much. Uh, hopefully the lawyers and the suits will uh, get this the CBA done pronto so we can uh, all be treated to uh, endless baseball talk. Guys, talk I will sacrifice my pool trade time signings. for that. It'll be good. Yeah, be careful on that golf cart, would you please? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I keep it legal. That's what I'll promise. I keep it legal. boy. You still have the Baltimore or the uh, Baltimore? Do you still have the Colts logo on it? Proudly, proudly uh. emblazoned on the side, despite Carson uh. Wentz and his best efforts to make me rip it off. Oh wow! Uh, I was going to say if it's on the side. If, I was going to say if it's on the side, that's where Carson Wentz spent most of the year, anyhow, on his side. So <laughs> yeah. that's awful. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, guys. As we mentioned at the top. The Red Sox and the Yankees, like every team in baseball, they're locked out. Their players, much like Blue Jays players, have been left to their own devices, trying to find places to work out, trying to figure out a way to put themselves in the best position as possible so that when spring training does start, they can hit the ground running. Chris Cotillo covers the Red Sox for Mass Live. He is kind of currently in travel purgatory, dealing with a storm in the Northeast and trying to figure out how he's going to get from Florida back to the Northeast. But uh, he has agreed to take some time out and talk to us today. Chris, thanks so much for joining Kevin Barker and Jeff Blair on uh, Blair and Barker, the podcast. I know that you are down in Florida. You were poking around the, the Red Sox facility in Fort Myers and also Florida Gulf Coast University. Can you, can you tell us? What took you to FGCU, which I believe the basketball team is called, they call themselves Dunk City, do they not? I believe they do, yeah. I don't know if Andy Enfield took that trademark with him when he went to USC, but they were back when they were uh, making noise in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a very strange time, obviously, for baseball, very strange time for big leaguers, especially um, you know if you're on a 40-man roster, then you're not allowed into your team's facility, which uh, is, is currently the case, so at JetBlue Park here in Fort Myers where the Red Sox train. Nobody's allowed in. The coaches, Alex Gore is there, the front office, Heim Bloom is there, all those types of people, but the players are uh, not allowed in. So actually yesterday I went to see what I could find, and I had to, despite you know covering the team for four years, I had to buy a $10 tour ticket to be able to get into the uh, facility. So <laughs> everything's pretty much locked down. Uh, the uh, so what the Red Sox players have decided to do is, uh, luckily for them, one of their uh, best and richest players in Chris Sale went to FTCU and uh, is a major donor there. Uh, I think the scoreboard is named after him or, you know, the field or something. And uh, so he's hosting uh, six of or five or six of his teammates over there. And they, they threw today Matt Barnes, Nick Pavetta, a few minor leaguers. Uh, so they're kind of making their own spring training. I think a lot of teams are doing it. The Red Sox um, – you know, are, are trying to gear up for whenever this gets going, and they had a good contingent over there today. Yeah, just to let people know, I think I, it was you or somebody tweeted out that if you go to the if you go to the souvenir stand at JetBlue Park or the the souvenir shop, there's lots of Red Sox caps for sale, but 
there's no merchandise with with current players names on it which would would right. tie into MLB sort of uh, preventing any player imagery from b- being used anywhere but boy that had to be surreal yeah it's a little it was a little weird and uh, the woman who was working the front desk there I I said, you know, I asked her about that. She said they definitely, you know, purposefully didn't send any of those things down this year. So, um, you know, it's just kind of a weird vibe over there. It's the time where, you know, all these towns and, and cities in Florida and Arizona are ramping up. It's kind of their time to shine baseball-wise, and it's uh, extremely quiet. So there's a lot of, you know, disappointed security guards. And in New England right now, there's school vacations going on, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of – Red Sox fans who are down here because they come down every year and see spring training games the first week or at least go see workouts in the backfields. And uh, those people are obviously disappointed, too. I actually ran into a few of them at FTCU today, which means that they're the most educated fans ever tracking that down. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's weird. Unprecedented for sure. Have you uh, you mentioned Chris Sale? Uh, I saw him on Instagram. He was he was Instagramming. I think maybe you behind the cage or in the bushes or something. He was sort of poking fun at that. I saw a kid hit a home run off of him. He's laughing. Uh, since he had Tommy John, have you noticed a, a different Chris Sale mindset wise? Just uh, having it seems to me like he's having a little bit more fun playing baseball. Yeah, I mean he's still the most intense competitor I've ever seen. And uh, you know today he was kind of letting it rip in the bullpen. He actually which which uh, one of the catchers for FTCU was catching him in the bullpen. He said, I'm about to start throwing sliders, so good luck. So he's still, you know, like his cocky, you know, competitive self. But I think having Tommy John being out for the better part of two years kind of changes perspective where he's, you know, not uh, not taking anything for granted and, and kind of having a little bit more fun on the mound at times. It seems like, you know, it, his perspective is different. That's, you know, what happens to older players. He's in the 30s and um, he's been around a little bit, won a World Series, now mentoring some young guys, I think, um, you know, he's never going to be a guy who's going to have a ton of fun out on the mound. Uh, he'll have fun, you know, only when they win the World Series we saw in 2018. But, um, you know, maybe a little a little change there. And, and I think for him, you know, the this is like the perfect storm of things for him. He loves his school in FGCU. He gets to bring, you know, of the six guys, him and Cutter Crawford, who's in AAA and made his debut last year, one of the pitching prospects. He's another FGCU alum. But the other four guys, Pavetta and um, – Barnes among them, you know, they have no ties to the school. So for Sale to bring his professional teammates back to his alma mater and have that, you know, be going on as their training grounds for, you know, two months now, I think means a lot to him that he can kind of mesh both of those worlds too. How do you think the Red Sox use Chris this year? What was that? How do you think uh, the Red Sox use Chris? Is it gloves off? Is it he's getting the ball every five days you go as long as you go? Or are they going to, you know, ease him into it? How do you think they're going to use him? No, I think he's he's ready to go. You know, I think they worked out the kinks and, and kind of used him on a pitch count when he came back last year for the last month and a half into October. Obviously, October wasn't pretty at times. and um, But, you know, I think at this point there's, there's uh, you know, probably no different than any other pitcher coming in. Uh, you know, that, that being said, we're going to see all these guys. The spring training is significantly shortened. We're going to see all these guys, you know, um, are going to be kind of on different buildups. I think I saw either Passon or someone like that tweeted out the other day that the expectation is, you know, if, if there's a four-week spring training, pitchers are only going to be built up to 65 pitches. So does that mean that there's short first outings across baseball? Maybe, obviously. You know, if that's the case, Sale's going to be, you know, behind um, what he normally would be, but right on par with, I think, everybody else. Chris Cotillo of Mass Live joins us on Blair and Barker, the podcast. Um 
talking about Chris Sale and also Matt Barnes was there. It was left off the postseason roster last year. Nathan Uvalde as well. Chris, I'm wondering when I, when I look at the Red Sox and I look at their pitching, and I, I ask myself, I, mean, I don't know if there's – every team has health issues uh, when it comes to pitching. Uh, clearly, the, the, the Yankees do as well, and, and, and the, Jays, the Jays also do. But it seems to me that the Red Sox are kind of in a position where y- you kind of need as normal a spring training as possible to get a read on these guys, don't you? Yes, for sure. You know, I think that that is, uh, you know, you look at, you know, the struggles that, uh, you know, Chris Sale had last year staying healthy and Nathan Evaldi is a guy and oft injured and, um, you know, has never had this workload under his belt before, I think. You know, they're a team that, you know, they want to know what they have. They also have, you know, some new guys are going to be integrating into the rotation. You know, before the lockout, they signed Rich Hill. They signed Michael Walker. Uh, and I think, you know, one piece of the Red, for the Red Sox that's particularly um, frustrating is, and this is a guy that those in Canada know well, James Paxton. You know, he's coming back from Tommy John surgery, and uh, they've not been able to talk to him basically since they signed him. They haven't been able to, you know, hear how his rehab is going, any of that stuff. So, I think that's very difficult for, uh, obviously, a player that's coming to a new team, trying to get healthy and all that. And um, it'll be interesting to see when he gets to camp if they really have their arms around, you know, exactly where he is in his progress. Chris, you're around, obviously, the, the Red Sox a lot more than we are. Uh, I want to ask you about Alex Cora. We haven't really talked a whole ton about him. Coming off the really good season last year, do you think baseball as a family look at Alex differently just because of the season he had last year? I'm not sure about that. You know, I think that, you know, what Alex always has going for him is that he's, you know, very well connected within the game. He has a ton of connections on other teams and uh, random places just because of all of his experiences. You know, he was a guy who played for 15 years, played for different teams, played in different leagues. His brother was, you know, a longtime big leaguer, worked for ESPN. So he has a lot of friends around the game. um, And I think that's part of the reason why he was able to rehabilitate his image so quickly, I think, because, you know, he had that support. Chris, when uh, when the game gets back, and there is a CBA at some point, what will job one be for the Red Sox in terms of addressing personnel issues or perhaps contract extensions or things of that nature? Yeah, they're going to be busy. You know, I think every team is obviously going to be busy as soon as this thing ends. But uh, for the Red Sox, I think you know their number one probably organizational priority is either Raphael Devers or Xander Bogarts or both getting contract extensions. And Bogarts is a guy who. Obviously, he's a franchise cornerstone. He's been around for a while. But he can opt out after this year. And after seeing what the shortstops on the market got, uh, he'd be stupid not to. He's making $20 million a year and the kind of performance he's put up time and time again. Devers is a free agent in two years. He's turned into, obviously, one of the best young players in baseball, another cornerstone in the infield there. So um, locking up those two guys, if they can, is going to be you know a big priority. You know, in terms of addressing the, the immediate roster, they need bullpen help. They need another outfielder after that kind of confusing trade of Jackie Bradley Jr. coming back for Hunter Renfro. Um, maybe add some some depth in the infield. Second base has been really an issue since Dustin Pedroia um, you know, got hurt for the first time, and all those comeback attempts, they've never really found a permanent solution. So they have a lot to do. You know, it's tough to see exactly how everything will shape up just because you know they made some moves before the lockup, but I think the big ones are still to come. Chris, really good of you to do this today. Thanks so much. Uh, I know that uh, you've had a little bit of uh, issues with travel, getting back to Boston and the snowstorm in the Northeast, the storm in the Northeast. We really appreciate you doing this. 
and uh, safe travels. And we look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Thanks, my friend. Be well. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Chris Cotillo covers the Red Sox for MassLive.com. And rest assured, once the CBA is done and dusted, he'll be back down in Florida along with the rest of the baseball writing and baseball reporting crew. Uh, We do know this. Once the CBA is done, business is going to come fast and furious. And speaking of business, we've got my favorite part of the show. Barker's Backleg Bits. De lado, Kevin Baker. El envío saca batazo de fly profundo al bosque derecho, cuadrangular bestial para Kevin Baker. We said Barker's Bits, not Baker. My goodness, Barker just airmailed that thing. It's time for Barker's Backleg Bits. As always, you can subscribe wherever you get your favorite pod. And please, please, please. Rate and review us. Stay tuned to social media for both our on-air and podcast schedule. All right, as I said, this is this is my favorite part of the show, Barker's Backleg Bits. You can submit questions to Barker by DMing me at SN Jeff Blair on Twitter, and I will send out a tweet the day before we go on air. And you can just DM me with your questions. DMs are always open. And, uh, well, we'll pick the ones you like. And I, I think I said on Twitter that there was a cash prize, Kevin, for this one. But So you sure. lied. Well, more or less. But it worked. It worked because we got some questions. You got a couple of them dealing with the Jays. And, uh, look, it's pretty clear that while the the lockout has cut into the usual excitement, Jays fans are still expecting some big transactions once this thing is done. You know, we've heard the names, wishful thinking ones like Freddie Freeman, which is just so much fun to think of. But anyhow, all that beside the point, we've heard trades for the likes of Matt Olson and Jose Ramirez. But Brad from Ottawa, Kevin, wants to know whether you think the Jays should keep focusing on starting pitching as well as position players. And he has a very simple question for you. If the Blue Jays do not add another starting pitcher via trade or via free agency, is this rotation, and by extension, is this pitching staff good enough to go to the World Series? Uh, not all season. I, I do think some things have to happen. You, you can never have too much pitching. Uh, you know, there, there's some things that have to happen. Obviously, Jose Barrios has to make 30 starts. Kevin Gosman with that two-pitch mix, that heater, that split finger, you know, the second time in the American League East. How's that going to work out? Hunjin Ryu, uh, better shape, better arm speed. Those two things go hand-in-hand. Hand. That has to come back. Alec Manoa, for me, just continue to do what you're doing. That sophomore year, how's that going to look? And then there's a ton of unknowns. Ross Stripling, you have any idea, Jeff? I don't have any idea. Anthony Kay, are you kidding me? Trent Thornton, we've seen that. Uh, Thomas Hatch, who Ben Wagner lights. Now, you know, the brass part of it where it's mono e mono, I'm not sure that the Thomas Hatch thing excites me, but that for me is the adjustments that, that Ross Atkins is going to have to make. Beginning of the season, I really like the first four. Middle of the season, I think they have to make some adjustments. Yeah, what I find really interesting, something Chris talked about, Chris Cotillo talked about, is is if if spring training is compressed or if the schedule is in some ways abnormal, the idea of or the notion that teams will have to get a read on the health of their pitchers before they you know, they pivot and, and go after another pitcher, I, I'm almost in the position where I think you, you err on the side of caution and you go out and... Look, I, I, I'm not saying you, I, I'm not saying you go out and spend foolish free agency money in a pitcher, but 
I think, Kevin, if I look at the Blue Jays, it's reasonable to assume that at some point, even if Alec Manoa is you know, is fine and it's clear sailing for him and Nate Pearson arrives as a starting pitcher, at some point over the next couple of years, it is entirely possible that they are going to have to go out and add a pitcher anyhow. So if you can get a guy with a little bit of control this spring, then maybe I go ahead, then maybe I go ahead and make that deal. But man, there's just so much there's so much this team has to do. And you know, yeah, I I because there's a lockout, teams have been prohibited from talking to to players and agents. I don't know if that's big a deal, if that's that big a deal. I mean, I think the teams, the Jays will have done their due, their due diligence anyhow, but um, I, I need, I would never say no to pitching, but I really need, I, I need to see another everyday player. I need to see whether that is. everyday player is at third base or second place. I'll, that to me is, is job one for the Blue Jays, whether it's a free agent or whether it's a trade, I need to see another preferably left-handed bat or switch hitter who can play who can play second or third. I absolutely need that. Ask yourself the first four guys in that rotation, can you be first or second going into the All-Star break? Absolutely. I would say yes. Can you ask yourself, would you be first or second with Biggio Espinal playing second and third every single day? Not a, uh, well, no. I, as I sit here right now, no. It would you know, again, it would depend somebody would have to have an outrageous an outrageous year. Danny Jans would have to turn into JT Real Muto hmm. or or something like that. But uh, no, I, I as I've said, I'm I'm kind of okay if you have a platoon of, of Espinal and 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 Biggio at second, and 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 when the guy who isn't playing is kind of your your chief bench guy, I'm I'm okay with that. But I, but I, I the more I think about it, I really need a I I need a Matt Olson. I need a a I need a Jose Ramirez. And I know Matt Olson, Matt Olson doesn't profile necessarily offensively as the the perfect guy for the Jays. But I need that. I need that everyday third baseman. I just don't think that I can be mixing and match, matching at two positions, especially given what Marcus Semien gave me last year. You know, I'm replacing I'm replacing an MVP candidate. I'm replacing a ton of war, and I just don't think you get it done by 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 mixing. And matching. Michelle from Brantford says that some of the preseason prospect rankings make it seem as if Kevin Smith can have a role in this team. I don't I haven't seen Kevin Smith anywhere, you know, rated as one of the Jays' top prospects. But look, Kevin Smith got his uh got a look last year. I think he joined the team in Washington. Um he, he's a guy they've been patient with. He's you know, a left side a guy can play the left side of the infield. Uh, what do you make of him, Kevin? And Michelle wants to know, what did you think of him last season as a hitter? And is he anything at this point other than a bench option for you? It's very hard to say. He's 25 years old. He's had a cup of coffee at the big league level. We, we've seen he has a giant uppercut in his swing. The, the elevated fastball, it didn't take long for big league pitchers, a big league pitching coach to go, hey, look, he led the mm-hmm. ball down. Let's see if he can hit the ball up. And then they start seeing the giant uppercut and – that didn't go so well for me. He's got he's got power to the pull side, which is a good thing. He he's got good mechanics at the plate. You know, he's got that 
bigger size leg kick, which will worry you a little bit. That's the reason why he hits on his backside a lot, which drops mm. his back elbow, which creates that big loop in his swing. That's why you're seeing the elevated heaters thrown to him, and he's missing those kind of things. He's a really good defender at third base. He's got enough arm. Uh, for me, anyway, he's a third baseman, second baseman. I would never play him at shortstop. I know in a pinch you could play him there. Footwork and, and first step, those kind of things for me. He's not a shortstop. But until he shows me that he can come to the big league level and consistently hit the fastball whenever he plays. Doesn't mean he has to get hits all the time, but consistently when he's getting it, he's barreling it up. I'm not sure he's a big leaguer. Yeah, I that, that that's that's well said. I mean that that's that's exactly the way I would uh the way I would view him. Uh, yeah, to me he's a guy that you might He's a guy, put it this way, he's a guy that should be able to be on somebody's major league roster. I just don't know if it's this team. But okay. if, I was a, if I was another team, you know, if I was a team that maybe uh, thought I was a year or two years away, I might take a look at this guy. Question, Santiago. You know, providing, I, providing I don't have to move heaven and earth to get him. But, yeah, I think he's a major leaguer. I just don't know if he... I don't know if he's a major leaguer in this team at this time. I think you should say Kevin Smith is a major league defender. He's not Fair a major enough. league Fair offensive enough. player. That, okay. for me, is the thing. And you got to ask yourself, they're, they're contending for championships. They're contending to win the American League East and go further in the playoffs. Do you think, say, hypothetical, Santiago Espinal gets hurt. He's the everyday third baseman to start the season. He gets hurt. He's out a month. You okay, Kevin Smith, playing every day? Yeah, no, no, no. There you go. That's your answer. No. I'm with you on that. Uh, Isaac in Toronto. I like this question. This is, why I, this is why I picked it out. And again, you can DM me, SN Jeff Blair, uh, is my Twitter handle. Isaac in Toronto, very simple question about hitting. Kevin Barker, what's the toughest pitch to hit? That's, 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 that's a very simple answer. It is a located fastball, but I'm going to double up on that, and I'm going to give you a little bit more advanced answer. Uh, if, when you have a pitcher on the mound who has deception – and he can locate his fastball, whether that pitcher's right. I, I was a left-handed hitter. Whether he's right-handed or he's left-handed. Now, lefties, because we didn't see him as much, you got a lefty out there who can locate down and away with a fastball and then spin it, same plane, making it look like the hater. That gives you a ton of trouble just because you don't see it all the time. But you had a, you get a righty on the mound who's got, you know, can pause a little bit, quick pitch you who can have a little higher leg kick, hide the ball, run it up the back of his leg, and then the heater gets on you a little bit more and on top of it. He can locate that. That, for me, so it's a combination of a couple of things. And it will, for me, always be a located fastball. Again, uh, the questions for Barker's back leg bits, very easy. I will send out a prompt on Twitter. SN Jeff Blair is my Twitter follow, and you can DM me with the questions, as Isaac did, Michelle did, and Brad as well. Thank you. Uh, thank you all three of you, for submitting your questions. And thank you for listening to Blair and Barker, the podcast. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week. Fingers crossed, everybody. Fingers crossed that the lawyers get it done. We need to see the major leaguers back in major league spring training. Good night from Toronto.